We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Levi, the only piece in Hilchus Avadim. This is Parak Zayin Halacha Hey, And in this piece, Rab Chaim returns to one of his favorite themes, which is the status of a fetus in Halacha. Not the status of abortion, of killing the fetus, which he had a piece on in Hilchus Rotseach, but what the status of the fetus is as an entity, as a person. So Rab Chaim's touched on this in a few of the earlier pieces. In the fifth piece in Elchus Trumos, Ches Dalid, so he had a long discussion of this. And in the fifth piece in Elchus Ishos, Zayin Tes Zayin, he also touched on this. So Rabbi Chaim's going to return to this issue, whether the fetus has the same characteristics as the person that's going to be born, or there's something different about the fetus. The Rambam writes, If someone writes to their pregnant maidservant, You are free, but your Fetus is going to remain in Eved. So, Dvar of Kayamin, that works. And the maidservant, the mother, is free, but the fetus is an Eved. But the other way, if he says, if he writes that the maidservant is going to remain a Shifcha, but the fetus is going to be free, that does not work. Because it says, if he freed half of the slave. So, if someone said to an Eved, half of you is free, that would would not be effective. So too, freeing the fetus and not the mother is not effective because it's like freeing half of her. Now, the Ravid questions this. He says, Kosha Reisha Seifa. There seems to be a contradiction between the first halacha and the second halacha. Seifa ka'amar de'ubar yerech imohu. The reason for the second halacha that if he tries to only free the fetus, it doesn't work is based on ubar yerech imohu. That a fetus is considered a limb of the mother. So it's like part of the mother's body. So by freeing the fetus and not the rest of the mother, it's like he only freed half of this person. So that doesn't work. So using that logic in the first halacha, where he freed the mother and not the fetus, it should be the same problem. Why does the Rambam rule that in such a case that's effective? By freeing the mother and not the fetus, it's like he only freed half of the mother because the fetus is part of the mother and it's not freed. So that should also also be ineffective like freeing half the mother. So the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam and he holds that the first halacha is effective because ubar lav yerech imohu. He holds that a fetus is not like part of the mother. It's a separate entity. So freeing the mother alone, even though it doesn't include the fetus, is still effective. So according to the Ravid, the first halacha is as the Rambam said it, based on ubar lav yerech imohu. Now in the second halacha, where he only freed the fetus. So again, the Ravid agrees with the Rambam that that is ineffective, but the Ravid explains it differently because the Ravid holds that the fetus is not a part of the mother. So it's not because he only freed half of it. The reason it's ineffective, says the Ravid, is either because of Dover Shalobala Olam, this fetus is not yet in the world, so he can't free the fetus yet until the baby is actually born, and now the baby becomes an Eved, so then he could free him. But before that, he's not able to free him because he's not born yet. Or alternatively, the other option is that Ein HaEved Mekabel Get Lechaveiro Miyad Rabo Shalo. An Eved cannot accept a Get Shichur, a freedom document, on behalf of another Eved from his own master. So if a master wants to free a slave, he has to give that document either to the slave or to a free person, but he cannot give it to another one of his slaves to accept it on behalf of that slave. So likewise, in this case, 
freeing the fetus through the shifcha, the mother is not going to work because she cannot accept the document on behalf of her child. So there's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivid how to understand the basis for these halachas. There's no practical debate. They both agree that if he frees the mother only, it's effective. If he frees the fetus only, it's ineffective. The question is why? The Rambam explains it based on Ubar Yerech Imohu, that the fetus is a part of the mother. It's like one of her limbs. So freeing the fetus alone is like freeing half of the shifcha, which doesn't work. The Raivit holds Ubar Lav Yerech Imohu, that the mother and the fetus are two separate entities, but freeing the fetus doesn't work either because it's a Dabar Shlobala Olam, the fetus is not born, or because the mother cannot accept the document of freedom on behalf of the fetus. So that's the debate. Now, Rab Chaim points out that there are two ways to understand the question that the Raivit is asking. The Raivit points out that the first halacha and the second halacha seem to contradict each other. But there's two ways to understand what he's saying. Either he's saying that since Ubar Yerach Imohu, the Rambam holds that the fetus is part of the mother, so even in the first case, freeing the mother should be ineffective. Why does the Rambam hold that that works when according to the Rambam, only half the shifcha has been freed because the fetus inside of her was not freed. That's the first way to formulate the question. The other way to formulate the question is that the Raivit is asking, once the mother is freed, so maybe the fetus should automatically be freed as well because he's part of the mother. So trying to free the mother and not the fetus is not going to work because the fetus is included in the freeing of the mother, like the Gemara in Temura Chafhei says, that if Ubar Yerech Imo, if we consider them one entity, then you can't leave the fetus out of whatever happens to the mother. So likewise, the Raivit is asking not that it should be ineffective, but that it should be effective for both of them, the mother as well as the fetus, whereas the Rambam limits it only to the mother. And that's the way the Lechem Mishnah in his commentary on the Rambam understands the Ravid's question, that he's asking why the Rambam holds in the first case that the fetus remains a slave and is not freed through the freeing of the mother. So those are the two ways to formulate the Ravid's question. Now, Rab Chaim points out that the Gemara only applies this idea that freeing one of them is like freeing half the slave only when the fetus was freed. It does not apply that logic when the mother only was freed. And Rab Chaim says that logically it would make sense to apply this idea only when the fetus was freed, not when the mother was freed, because the fetus is totally dependent on the mother in order to live. So the fetus needs the mother, otherwise it will immediately die. So that's why freeing the fetus is like freeing half the slave. And Rab Chaim formulates this in two ways. Either because freeing the fetus is like freeing only half of a person, because the fetus can't exist on its own. Or because it's not a full cutting off. The master is not totally freeing the slave because he's keeping the mother, which the fetus needs needs in order to exist as his shifcha, so the fetus is not actually really free. The fetus is still dependent on the mother who's a shifcha of the owner. So that's not a full freedom. So that's why 
when he frees only the fetus, we apply this principle that since the fetus is part of the mother, it's like a half freedom, it's a partial freedom, and the fetus is not free. As opposed to when he frees the mother, so the mother is not dependent on the fetus in any way. The mother could exist totally independently of the fetus. So freeing her alone is not an example of freeing only half the slave. It's an example of freeing the slave fully, even though the fetus is a limb of the mother. So the fetus is considered part of the mother, but still freeing the mother who could live independently without the fetus is a full freedom. And maybe we would not consider it a partial freedom, so it would be effective. So that explains why the Gemara only applies this principle to the case where he freed the fetus, not when he freed only the mother. And Rab Chaim brings a proof to this from the Gemara in Temura Chafhei, where there's a debate between Rabbi Yosei Aglili and the Rabbanan in this case, where he only frees the mother, not the fetus. So Rabbi Yosei Aglili holds that they're both free. The mother is free, and then the fetus is automatically freed through the mother. So the Gemara explains that there are two ways to understand Rabbi Yosei Aglili's position. Either because of Ubar Yerech Imo, the fetus is part of the mother, so if the mother's free, then the fetus is as well, or it's based Based on a pasuk, the Torah says, "Ha'isha v'yaldeh ha'tihel The mother and the children belong to the owner. So only when the mother belongs to the owner do the children belong to the owner. But if the mother is freed, so then the Torah is saying that the children go free. So those are the two ways to formulate Rabbi Yosi Aglili's position. So now Rabbi Chaim asks, if we say like the Ravid said, that freeing only the mother and not the fetus is a partial freedom, so why does the Gemara assume that both the mother and the fetus are free? Both of these explanations are going to work the other way. Since the fetus is part of the mother, so neither of them is free because freeing the mother alone is only a partial freedom, so neither of them is free. And likewise, the Torah says that the the fetus is only a slave if the mother is a slave, but in this case, the mother should remain a shifcha because it was only a partial freedom. So they should both be a slave. So why does the Gemara assume, according to Rabbi Yossi Aglili, that in this case, certainly the mother is free? The only issue is whether the fetus is also free. Says Rab Chaim, that proves like his idea that the mother's freedom is certain. We never say that the mother alone is only a partial freedom. If the owner frees the mother alone, because she can live independently, so she is certainly free. That's not a partial freeing. The only issue is about the child. So that's why Rabbi Yossi Aglili says that if the child is part of the mother or based on the pasuk, so the child is free as well. So this proves Rab Chaim's distinction. So that answers the question of the Ravid on the Rambam. The Rambam is applying this distinction that when he frees only the mother, so she alone goes free because it's not a partial freedom, even though the fetus remains in Eved, but when he frees the fetus alone, so the fetus is not free because that is a partial freedom. As the Gemara said, that since the fetus is part of the mother and the mother is not free, so the fetus is not free as well. So this distinction that the Rambam makes is based on strong evidence in the Gemara, and it makes sense logically, and that would very simply answer the first interpretation of the Ravid's question. Meaning, if the Ravid was asking why is the mother free in that case, even though the fetus alone does not go free. So this is a very simple answer. There's a difference between the mother and the fetus based on what Rab Chaim just explained. So says Rab Chaim, it seems that the Ravid is actually asking the other question, the way the Lecha Mishnah also interpreted it, that he's asking since the mother is free, so
so he also agrees that if the owner frees the mother only, she does go free. But the Ravid is asking, why does the child not also go free automatically, like the Gemara says? That since the child is part of the mother, he can't withhold the child's freedom once he frees the mother. So that's what the Ravid is trying to ask. Again, he understands that freeing the fetus alone is not going to work, whereas freeing the mother alone is going to work, based on what Rab Chaim just explained. His question on the Rambam, though, is in the first halacha, once the mother's free, why is the fetus not free as well? So to answer the view of the Rambam, Rab Chaim analyzes the Gemara in Timura. It quotes the view of Rabbi Yossi Aglili that freeing the mother automatically frees the fetus. And Rabbi Yossi Aglili explains it based on this pasuk of Ha'isha v'yaldeha ti'yeladoneha, that only when the mother is a shifcha, the children are avadim, otherwise the children are free. And then the Gemara adds that there's another reason, which is ubar yerech imohu, that the fetus is a part of the mother, it's like a limb of the mother. Says Rab Chaim, both of these reasons are needed they both work together in order to explain this position. Because if the whole reason was based on Ubar Yarech Imohu, that the fetus is part of the mother, so it should be freed, well, that doesn't fully work because once the fetus is born, it's now certainly a separate entity from the mother. It becomes its own person. And now he's an Eved. So at that point, there is a full Eved in the world. It's not dependent in any way on the status of the mother. So that combines with the status of the fetus, even though at this point he is not a separate entity, he's part of the mother, but his status that eventually he's going to be a full slave should mean that even right now he's considered a slave. So even though the mother was freed and the fetus is part of the mother, but he should not automatically be freed because his status as as a fetus should connect with his eventual status once he's going to be born. So he should remain a slave. So that's why the Gemara adds in that there's another reason, which is Ha'isha v'yaldeha, based on the Pasuk, that once the mother is freed, the Torah said that the child is also freed. So that's how we get around that issue. Now, that reason alone is also not going to work. And Rab Chaim explains that based on the Gemara in Yevamos Ayin Ches, that a pregnant non-Jewish woman who converts, the fetus does not need to convert in order to be Jewish. So if the fetus is part of the mother, ubar yerech imohu, so then the fetus is included in the mother's conversion and the fetus doesn't need a separate conversion. And if the fetus is a separate entity, so the fetus does need to convert on its own. It's not included in the mother's conversion, but the mother going into the mikvah with the fetus inside of her is a valid conversion version for the fetus as well. So it's as if the fetus did convert even though he was a fetus. So we can apply the same logic in this case where the mother is freed. If the fetus is part of the mother, then he's included in the freedom of the mother and he doesn't need to be freed on his own. But if the fetus is its own entity, then he's not included in the mother's freedom. So he would need to be freed. So that's why the Gemara says that if Rabbi Yossi holds that Ubar Yerech Imohu, the fetus is part of the mother and he's included in the mother's freedom. So that explains why there's not a 
separate process to free the fetus because once the mother was freed, so then the halacha of Ha'isha v'yaldeha, that the Torah said if the mother is freed, then the fetus is freed, so that kicks in and the fetus is included in the freedom of the mother and you don't need to free the fetus separately. But if the fetus is a separate entity, uber lav yerech imohu, so even though the Torah said that if the mother's free, the fetus is free, but there was no freedom of the fetus because it requires its own document, its own process. It's not included in the freedom of the mother. So that's going to change the whole equation. Since the fetus is in fact not freed in this case, it's not that the mother was freed and he's holding back the fetus. The law of the Torah does kick in that since the mother is free, the fetus is free. But on a practical level, the fetus was never freed because the owner didn't free him. So that's why the fetus remains a slave even though the mother goes free. So that explains why the Gemara needs to apply also Ubar Yerach Imohu in order to explain how practically the fetus was freed even though the only document of freedom was given to the mother. So even though the Torah said that the fetus should be freed, that could only work if the fetus is included in the mother's freedom. But if Ubar Lav Yerach Imo, so then practically the fetus was not freed and remains a slave. So that explains why the Gemara needs both of these reasons to work together in order to free the fetus, both that Ubar Yerach Imohu and that the Torah said if the mother is freed, the fetus is freed. Now, the Gemara at the end concludes that in fact, freeing the mother does not automatically free the fetus. It only frees the mother. But according to Rabbi Yossi Aglili, the fetus is free because of Ha'isha V'yaldeha. The Torah said that if the mother is freed, then the children are freed. So this seems to go against how Rab Chaim understands this because now the Gemara is saying that even if the fetus is not included in the freedom of the mother, he's still freed based on the rule of the Torah. So Rab Chaim explains that what the Gemara is saying in the conclusion is that this law of the Torah, that if the mother is free, the child is free, works automatically, meaning the child doesn't need to be freed on their own. So even if Ubar Lav Yerech Imohu, even if the child is not included in the mother's process of freedom, still the law of the Torah is going to kick in. And since the mother is freed, so now the fetus goes free. So the point that the Gemara is changing is that originally it thought that in order to free the fetus, the Torah said that the fetus should be freed, but there also needs to be a practical process of freeing him. So the fetus needs to be included in the mother's freedom. But then the Gemara said that the law of the Torah automatically frees the fetus even if he's not included in the freedom of the mother. So from this whole analysis and the way Rab Chaim interprets this Gemara, we see that even according to the view that Ubar Yerach Imo, still freeing the mother does not automatically include the fetus. There needs to be a separate reason that the Torah explicitly freed the fetus in order to apply the halacha that freeing the mother frees the fetus. But without that, we don't say that anything that applies to the mother automatically includes the fetus. So that now explains the ruling of the Rambam, that even though he freed the mother, that does not include the fetus, because the Rambam rules like the Rabbanan, who disagree with Rabbi Yossi Aglili, and in the conclusion of the Gemara in Temura, the Rabbanan do not understand the Pasuk to be saying that if the mother is free, then the children are automatically free, and that's also how the Gemara in Kiddush and Samach Tess understands it. So there is no explicit rule in the Torah that if the mother is free, the fetus is free, 
So that's why the Rambam rules according to that view against Rabbi Yossi Aglili that if he frees the mother only, that does not automatically include the child. And he could specify that the fetus is going to be an Eved and that's going to work. So that answers the question of the Raivid, even though the Gemara and Temura discusses this possibility that freeing the Shifcha automatically includes the fetus, but that is not the conclusion. The Rambam rules according to the other view that freeing the mother does not automatically include the fetus. And even though the Rambam holds Ubar Yerech Imohu, that does not automatically imply that freeing the mother includes the fetus. That would require also the interpretation of Ha'isha V'yaldeha to say that the Torah freed the fetus. Now, since the Rambam does not rule in accordance with that reading of the Pasuk, so the only factor left is Ubar Yerech Imohu. And even though a simple reading of the Gemara would indicate that that alone is enough to free the fetus, but the way Rab Chaim interpreted that Gemara and the back and forth, so the conclusion is that that alone is not enough to free the fetus. So that's why even though the Rambam holds Ubar Yerech Imohu, he holds that freeing the mother does not automatically include the fetus. And that answers the question of the Ravid from the Gemara and Temura. Now in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim continues his analysis of this Gemara. The Gemara there asks a question from a Brisa, which is the other case. If someone freed a fetus, but not the mother. So if she was pregnant, then the fetus goes free. So the Brisa says that that does work freeing the fetus alone. So the Gemara analyzes this case. If the reasoning here is that Ubar Yerech Imo, they're both considered one entity. So you can't free one without the other. So then this is a case of freeing half in Evid. Freeing the fetus is like freeing only half. And that would work because there's an opinion that that works. But if you say Uber Lav Yarech Imohu, so they're two separate entities, so then you could free one without the other. So then the reason the fetus is freed is because the mother got the document freeing the fetus on behalf of the fetus. So on that, the Gemara asks, what about the rule that an Eved could get a freedom document for a different Eved if it's not his owner? So if someone owns an Eved, they could give that document of freedom to someone else's Eved, but not if both slaves share the same owner. So a slave cannot get a Shtar Shichrur on behalf of another Eved from their own owner. So in this case, how can the Shifcha accept the freedom document on behalf of the fetus when the owner owns both of them? So that's the question that the Gemara raises against this case. But Rab Chaim asks that there seems to be a much more fundamental, basic question. How can the mother receive the freedom document on behalf of the fetus when a fetus has no agency? A fetus cannot create a messenger in any way. No one can ever accept something on behalf of a fetus. The halacha is a mezakel uber lokana. Someone who acquires something on behalf of a fetus does not acquire it for the fetus. A fetus is unable to do anything or acquire anything. So how can the mother acquire the fetus's freedom on behalf of the fetus when a fetus is unable to do that? Forget about whether it's her owner or not. There's a much more basic issue that no one can do anything on behalf of a fetus. So how is the mother accepting something in order to free the fetus? So says Rab Chaim, it seems from this question in the Gemara that the Gemara understands that everybody, both views, whether Ubar Yerech Imo or not, 
either way, the only way for a fetus to become free is only through the mother. So there's no such thing as freeing a fetus on its own and the mother acts as a messenger to receive that freedom on behalf of the fetus. That is not going to work at all. The only way this works is that through the mother, in other words, because the mother is pregnant and the fetus lives inside of her, so the mother is able to free the fetus by taking this shtar shikhr. So that's how this unique case works. The mother's not a messenger, but the mother frees the baby inside of her by taking the shtar. So now the Gemara does ask this question on the view of Ubar Lav Yerech Imo that how can the mother acquire the Shtar Shikhr on behalf of the Ubar when it's coming from her owner and ordinarily that does not work. So it sounds like she is acquiring the freedom on behalf of the fetus alone. Not that the freedom comes through the mother to the fetus. So how does that work based on what Rab Chaim just said? So Rab Chaim explains based on the Gemara in Gitanayin Zayin that Rava asked how can any Eved get their own Shtar Shikhr? Forget about getting another Eved Shtar Shikhr. Their own Shtar Shikhr is not leaving the master's ownership because he's giving it to his slave and he owns whatever the slave gets. So how does the slave getting the freedom document in their hands ever free themselves when it didn't leave the domain of the owner? How does a slave go free by getting a Shtar Shikhr into their own hands that it becomes theirs. So the Gemara answers, The get, the shtar shikhr, and their hand come at once. Meaning at the same moment when the shtar shikhr hits their hand, at that very second, their hand also goes free and they acquire the shtar shikhr in order to go free. So both of those things happen simultaneously, even though one after the other, they wouldn't work. But at the same moment, they're both able to take effect. So the Shtar Shikhr hits the Eved's hand. At that moment, the Eved goes free and acquires the Shtar Shikhr. So now they have the Shtar Shikhr in their ownership. And now they go free through getting the Shtar Shikhr. So the Gemara is very clear that the only reason an Eved could accept their own Shtar Shikhr is based on this principle of Gito Viyado Bain Ke'echad. But if not for that, then in fact it would not work because when the owner gives the shtar shikhr into the Eved's hands, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't leave the owner's domain and the Eved doesn't take hold of it in order to be freed. So without Gito V'yadobayin Ke'echad, giving a shtar shikhr to the Eved would not free himself. And that's exactly why giving the shtar shikhr to the Eved does not free another Eved from the same owner. Because again, the shtar shikhr has not left the the ownership of the owner because this slave who got it is not going free. The other slave who is supposed to go free did not get it. So there's no gita v'yadobayin ke'echad. So the whole thing doesn't work. So that's exactly why giving the shtar shikhrur to another Eved from the same owner is not going to be effective and free the Eved that it's supposed to free because that star never left the domain of the owner, so it's ineffective. So now, building on this, Rab Chaim adds a very brilliant point. When the mother accepts the star Shikhr on behalf of the Ubar, so do we apply Gito V'yodo Bain Ke'echad? Do we say that since this is an unusual case where the mother is accepting the document, but the Ubar is going free, but it's not a messenger. She's not accepting it on behalf of the Ubar. It's through the mother that the freedom comes to the Ubar. So do we apply Gito V'yodo Bain Ke'echad to that situation? Says Rab Chaim, it's going to depend on Ubar Yerech Imo or not. 
if they're both one entity, so the mother is accepting the star, and through that the ubar goes free. So there we apply Since the mother who has the fetus inside of her got the star, so that frees the ubar. But if they're considered two separate entities, so the mother is accepting the star, which frees the ubar. So the freedom is coming through the mother, but they're considered two separate entities. So then we don't apply The mother's accepting the star is not the same as if the ubar itself had gotten the star. So that's why the Gemara asks, how is this going to work? Because since they're two separate entities, one slave can't get a star on behalf of another slave from the same owner. So likewise, the mother should not be able to accept the star and free the Ubar, even if it's not a case of a messenger. Because again, as Rab Chaim explained, even according to the view that Ubar lav yarech imo, still, the mother is not the messenger of the fetus. That's impossible. Rather, the freedom comes through the mother to the fetus. But now there is still a problem as the Gemara asks that even though that does work, but how does the mother accept the star when there's no Gito Viyado Echad because they're two different entities. So that explains what the Gemara is trying to ask. So according to Rab Chaim, even though both views agree that the freedom comes from the mother to the Ubar, but she's not a messenger of the Ubar, but what the Gemara is raising is that there is a difference between whether Ubar Yarech or not in regards to whether the mother can accept the star for the ubar or not because the ubar is not the one holding the star the mother is so we need to apply gito viado for this to work and that's only going to work if the mother is the same entity as the ubar otherwise it's as if the mother is holding the star for the fetus and that does not free without gito viado so that explains how the gemara sets this whole framework up now tosos and gitin chav gimel asks a very important question which is why is it so simple that according to the view of of Ubar Yerech Imo, that they're one entity, that the mother is able to accept the document that frees the Ubar. Even if they're one entity, but still the mother is not being freed. So when the star is put in her hand, it's not put in a hand which is separate from the Adon, it's part of the domain of the owner still. So how is their Gito Viado Echad? The Gemara assumes that if Ubar Yerech Imo, then the mother can certainly accept the document that frees the Ubar. But Tosos asks, there's no Gito Viado Echad because the mother's hand is not being freed. It's as if the owner would free the slave except for his hand. So the hand is going to remain enslaved where there would be no Gito Viado Echad because that document is not going into a free hand. It's going into a hand that belongs to the Adon. So the same is true in this case even if Ubar Yerach Imo, but the mother's hand is not freed. So when the star goes into her hand, even though it's one entity with the fetus, but the hand itself that's holding the star is not freed, it still belongs to the owner. So how does that free the fetus when there's no Gito Viodo Bainkachad? That's Tosus's question. So to answer this question, Rab Chaim formulates a very important conceptual idea that the principle of Gito Viodo Bainkachad does not mean because the hand is being freed. So it's not 
not as we understand it practically that since the slave is being freed through this document, that's why they both happen simultaneously. That since the hand is about to be freed, it can now accept the shtar. Rab Chaim says that's not how it works. The way it works is that since this hand belongs to the slave, even if it's not being freed, we still apply So it's not about whether the hand is being freed. It's about whether the hand belongs to the slave who's being freed. So we don't actually care whether the hand itself is free so long as it belongs to the Eved who's being freed. So that explains how the mother is able to accept the star for the Ubar even though the mother is not free. So the hand that's holding it is not free. But since Ubar Yerach Imo, if the mother and the fetus are considered one entity, so the mother holding the star is the same thing as the Ubar holding the star. So we apply Gitov Yado Ke'echad. So based on this answer to Tosus's question, we learn that even if Ubar Yerech Imo, it's not automatic that the mother can hold the document for the Ubar, if not for this idea that Rab Chaim just said, that the mother's hand is considered like it's the Ubar's hand. So in Halacha, we view the mother's hand as the Ubar's hand, so it's as if the Ubar itself is holding the star because they're considered one entity. But if not for that logic, as Tosfos asked, just the fact that the two are connected is not enough to apply Gitov Yodo Ke'echad. So this reinforces Rab Chaim's overall analysis in this paragraph that according to the other view, Ubar Lav Yerech Imo, that they're two separate entities, so then certainly the mother cannot accept the star and have it work for the Ubar because since they're two separate entities, so clearly her hand is not the Ubar's hand and she's not being freed. So there's no way to apply Gitov Yado Ke'echad. So putting the star in the mother's hand certainly does not help for the Ubar. So that's why the Gemara says very clearly that the mother accepting the star is going to be a problem if Ubar Lav Yarech Imo because there's no way for her accepting this star to work for the Ubar because it's like accepting a star for another slave from the same owner. So that does not work because there's no Gitov Yodob Ke'echad. So likewise, this case also is not going to work. And now Rab Chaim adds another point to all this, which is not only is there a problem in terms of practically freeing the fetus, but Rab Chaim says there's even a problem with the concept of freeing the fetus because the fetus is not a full slave yet. The fetus is only going to become a full slave once it's born. So at that point, it can be freed. But right now, when it's a fetus, it doesn't really have the status of an Eved, so it can't be freed. It's just a potential Eved, but you can't free that. So the only way to free a fetus is in conjunction with the mother. Since the mother's status is a shifcha, so her fetus combines with her status and that gives the fetus the status of an eved in order to be freed. So it's not only that the fetus needs the mother in order to practically be freed by getting the star, but the fetus needs the mother in order to give it the status of an eved who's able to be freed 
because on its own, the fetus does not have that status. And even more, Rab Chaim adds, the fetus is not even a person. It's not only that the fetus is not an Eved, it's not even a person. So how could it possibly be freed? You can't do any real deals or changes to a fetus because they're not a person. So the only way to interact with this fetus and to free them is only through the agency of the mother. The fetus has to combine with the mother in order to be able to do anything to it. So there's no such thing as freeing a fetus alone without including the mother in the situation. The mother has to be part of anything which is going to be done to the fetus. So that's why freeing the fetus alone, even according to the view that Uber Lav Yarech Imo, that they're two separate entities, but freeing the fetus alone is always considered freeing only a part of the slave because freeing the fetus always includes the mother's role in the situation. So from that perspective, freeing the fetus is automatically always going to be considered a partial freedom. So this is a more conceptually robust formulation of what Rab Chaim said at the beginning of the piece, that freeing the fetus is always a partial freedom, which is different than freeing the mother alone because she's not dependent on the fetus. So freeing her alone is a valid freedom. It's not a partial freedom. So this explains the ruling of the Rambam, the distinction that he makes between freeing the fetus versus freeing the mother. The Rambam does not have to hold Ubar Yerach Imo. The way Rab Chaim just analyzed this Gemara, so even if the Rambam follows the view of Ubar Lav Yerach Imo, even so this distinction is going to be valid. That freeing the fetus is a partial freedom because the fetus is dependent on the mother for the freedom to come through the mother to the fetus and the fetus is not a person and the fetus is not an Eved, so nothing can be done to the fetus without the mother. So even if they're two separate entities, but freeing the fetus is only a partial freedom and freeing the mother is a full freedom. And even according to the other view that Ubar Yerach Imo, so they're considered one entity, but the same is true. That freeing the fetus is a partial freedom because the fetus depends on the mother to live, whereas freeing the mother is a full freedom even though they're considered the same entity because the mother could live without the fetus. As Rab Chaim explained at the beginning of this piece based on the Gemara and Temura. So the Rambam is not boxed into either view, Ubar Yerach Imo or Lav Yerach Imo. According to both views, the Rambam's distinction still fits. Now, in the last little bit, Rab Chaim turns to what does the Raivid hold about all this? Because he disagrees with the Rambam's framework. So Rab Chaim explains that even the Raivid agrees with this basic idea that there is no way to free an Ubar on its own. The freedom has to come through the mother to the Ubar because they're both connected. So why then in the second case where he frees the fetus and not the mother? So the Raivid said the reason that doesn't work is because Ubar Yerach Imo, since they're the same entity, Entity, there's no way to free only the fetus without the mother. But what about this idea that Rab Chaim developed that the freedom comes from the mother to the fetus, even if the mother's not free? So Rab Chaim explains that the Ravid is bringing up a different issue. Even though the Ravid agrees that there is a way to free the fetus through the mother, but what about the problem of freeing half a slave? So that depends on Ubar Yerach Imo or not. 
if they're both the same entity, so then there's a separate problem with freeing the fetus, that the mother is not free, so that's a partial freedom which doesn't work. If it would be Ubar Lav Yerach Imo, they're two separate entities, so then freeing the fetus through the mother would in fact work. So that's the issue that the Ravid is raising with the second case, that even if we can figure out a way around the issue, how to free the fetus, but still a partial freedom is not going to work. Now, in the first case, where he frees only the mother and not the fetus. So there the Ravid disagreed with the Rambam and he said that if Ubar Yerech Imo, then the fetus should automatically be free through the mother going free. So Rab Chaim explains again that what the Ravid means to say is that he holds the issue of whether you interpret the Pasuk of Ha'isha V'yaldeha to teach that if the mother goes free, the fetus goes free, that question depends on the issue of Ubar Yerech Imo or not. Meaning the view of Rabbi Yossi Aglili, who says that there is a rule in the Torah that if the mother's free, the fetus is free, that's based on Ubar Yerech Imo. The view of the Rabbanan who disagree with him, they say that there is no such rule that if the mother's free, the fetus is free. It's because they hold Ubar Lav Yerech Imo. So unlike the way Rab Chaim explained in the Rambam that these are two separate issues, according to the Raivit in the Gemara, they are the same issue. And how you interpret the Pasuk depends on Ubar Yerech Imo. So that's why the Ravid asks that if the Rambam holds Ubar Yerech Imo, so then it should follow that if the mother's free, the fetus is free because of the Pasuk of Ha'isha V'yaldeha. According to the Ravid, the only way to explain the view of the Rabbanan that there is no such rule is because Ubar Lav Yerech Imo. So that's why the Ravid holds that both of these halachas depend on the issue of Ubar Yerech Imo or not because in the first halacha where he freed the fetus, so that depends whether it's a partial freedom and in the second halacha where he freed the mother, the issue is how to interpret the pasuk of Ha'isha V'yaldeha. So that's why the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam's presentation of this halacha and he says the only way to interpret the first halacha that freeing the fetus on its own works is based on Ubar Lav Yerech Imo. But even the Ravid agrees with certain elements of Rab Chaim's interpretation of the Rambam. So earlier Rab Chaim said that he agrees with the idea that the only way to free the fetus is through the mother. And now Rab Chaim adds that he also agrees with the idea that even according to the view of Ubar Yerech Imo, the only reason why freeing the mother automatically frees the Ubar is only based on the Pasuk of Aisha V'yaldeha. But the concept of Ubar Yerech Imo on its own is not enough to say that freeing the mother automatically frees the child. So according to Rab Chaim, both the Rambam and the Ravid agree with that, but there's different ways to formulate that. According to the Ravid, how to interpret the Pasuk of Ha'isha V'yaldeha depends on the issue of Ubar Yerech Imo. So they're synonymous issues. Whereas according to the Rambam, as Rab Chaim explained earlier, they're two separate issues. They're both needed in order to explain Rabbi Yossi Aglili, but even according to the Rabbanan, who do not interpret the Pasuk that if a mother's free, the fetus is free, they could still hold that Ubar Yerech Imo. So that's why the Rambam is able to fit into both views of Ubar Yerech Imo or Lav Yerech Imo. According to both of them, the Rambam holds that freeing the fetus is a partial freedom, so that does not work, whereas freeing the mother is a full freedom, and we don't hold that Ha'isha V'yaldeha teaches that automatically the fetus
fetus is free. So freeing the mother alone is going to work and the fetus is not free. So this is Rab Chaim's piece to explain the different views of the Rambam and the Raivid and the different frameworks that they have for interpreting this halacha and how they both fit into the Gemara's discussion about it. The key conceptual points that Rab Chaim develops, the main issue that he's discussing is the difference between freeing the fetus alone versus freeing the mother alone. And Rab Chaim proposes a few distinctions. First of all, the fetus's life depends on the mother, whereas the mother's life does not depend on the fetus. Second, the fetus has no ability to get the star to be free, whereas the mother does have a hand. Third, the fetus is not considered a full Eved in order to be freed, if not in combination with the mother's status, that it's the fetus of a Shifcha. So that's how he's able to be freed, whereas the mother alone is a Shifcha. And finally, the fetus is not an Ish, they're not a person, whereas the mother is a person. So those are the reasons why freeing the Ubar is a partial freedom, whereas freeing the mother is a full freedom. Now, related to this, Rab Chaim develops this idea that a fetus cannot be freed on its own, and the mother cannot accept the star or the freedom on behalf of the fetus because no one can be a messenger for a fetus. So the way it works is that since the fetus is in the mother, so the mother is able to accept the freedom, and from her it goes to the fetus. So that's how Rab Chaim explains that whole concept. And finally, Rab Chaim also suggests that Gito v'yado bain ke'echad does not mean that the hand is actually free, but rather it means that the person being freed, their hand got the star, even if the hand itself is not free. So that's how Rab Chaim understands that principle. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, so they quote from Reb Shmuel Rezovsky on Sanhedrin Samaches Amad Beis that he discusses this piece in Reb Chaim and he makes a few key points. First, he quotes that the Hafla in Ksubis Yud Aleph also asks the same question that Rab Chaim asked, which is how can the mother accept the star on behalf of the Ubar when there's no Zchia for an Ubar? You cannot acquire something on behalf of a fetus. So how does the mother acquire the star on behalf of the fetus. And he quotes that Reb Kiveger and the Beis Yaakov also ask a similar question. So this big question that Rab Chaim raises was already raised earlier by the Hafla, Reb Kiveger and the Beis Yaakov. Now he quotes that Reb Naftali Trop in his Shur Manksubis, so he has an answer which is he says that Ein Le'ubar, this concept that a fetus cannot acquire things only means that there is no way for a fetus to acquire something because a fetus has no agency. But it doesn't mean that a person cannot acquire something for the fetus. So if someone with agency, an adult, decides to acquire something on behalf of the fetus, that would work. So that answers this question. Now, obviously, Rab Chaim disagrees with that, and he holds not only that there's no way for a fetus to acquire anything, because a fetus can own things, but in addition, Rab Chaim also says clearly in this piece that no one can acquire things on behalf of the fetus. So an adult cannot acquire things for a fetus. That's how he understands Ein Zoch in Le'ubar, that not only the fetus can acquire it, but even an adult can acquire it on their behalf. But Reb Shmuel questions 
that because he points out that Rab Chaim doesn't really have a proof for his reading of that halacha. He's just offering a very broad understanding of that halacha. But the halacha just says that a fetus cannot own things. It does not say that others cannot acquire it on their behalf. So Reb Naftali does have a point that maybe there's a very simple answer that an adult could acquire something on behalf of the fetus. Now Reb Shmuel raises another question which is that the Ktsos has a very important concept that when it comes to giving a get or a shtar shichror the person does not need to own it in a financial sense. So there are certain ways which transfer financial ownership and that is not necessary for a get or a shtar shichror. All that's necessary is to give it to the person. The person does not actually need to own it. So applying that to this case, Reb Shmuel points out that again, that would seem to answer Reb Chaim's question, because even if the fetus can't own things financially, but in this case, he doesn't need to own it financially. He does not need to have ownership of the Shtar Shichur for it to be effective. It just needs to be given. So maybe the mother holding the Shtar Shichur on behalf of the fetus is sufficient, even if it doesn't belong to the fetus, but there was an Asina, it was given to the mother. So maybe that would free the fetus. So those are some of the issues that Reb Shmuel raises with this question that Reb Chaim discusses.